Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. One of the definitions of launch is to start or set in motion. And every creative person has to do it. So what are the secrets to a successful launch? With eight to 10 hours a day, I was like literally emailing people one by one. I don't really check my numbers. You know, I don't really listen to the podcast. I'm able to do it again, but as a normal person. Welcome to Anna David's Launchpad. Hi there. Welcome to Launchpad, as in Anna David's Launchpad. How are you? Welcome to episode 295 with Annabelle Gerwich. By the way, if you want to know more about Annabelle, and you will after you listen to this, and you want to remember her top three tips, which I'm about to get into, go, there are show notes. There are episode numbers and show notes. This is so awesome. Go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Annabelle. That's A-N-N-A-B-E-L-L-E. Now, Annabelle Gerwich, oh my God, is there anything this woman has not done? And I think I'm an overachiever. No, maybe it's something to do with starting your name with Anna. She goes crazy. She's been a huge actress. She's an activist. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller. It was also a Thurber Prize finalist. It's called I See You Made an Effort. Uh, She has multiple other books. She was the co-host of Dinner and a Movie. Remember that on TBS? She's been on NPR, The Today Show, Bill Maher many times, WTF with Mark Maron. Um, She's been featured, or she's written for The New Yorker, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Like, honestly, honestly, there's very little she has not done. And when you listen to this episode, this may make a lot of sense. Now, she is a deep thinker, but she's a planner. And she has... Stick around to the end so you can get her top three tips for what makes a successful launch. And I think any New York Times bestselling author um, has got some good tips on how to do that. But also, what does this have to do with Q-tips? Does she recommend not putting them in your ear when your ear itches? She probably does say don't do that, but we didn't talk about that. So stick around and let me now give you Annabelle Gerwich. Okay, so I was just saying, out of all the creative people I know, you seem like one who's got a system down. Like, I see you with lists sick in my head. Six <laughs> months before a book comes out, or like as you're putting, like, you know, proverbial pen to paper, like you've got a plan. So how do you launch? I, I do have a plan, uh, but the plan starts bef- way before six months before the book comes out. The plan starts uh, when I'm writing the book itself. So for me, uh, and this is just, you know, I'm going to, I'm really excited to listen to your podcast because I am only doing, I've developed this method just based on 
really my years of experience as an actress. And then I sort of took the idea that I had had as an actress about trying to find a niche for myself into book publishing. And then I'm not quite sure how I got this idea of this little, of the way that I launch things, but this is what I do. So first of all, to me, the most, there, there are two essential ingredients to make uh, a project successful. For me, the idea is that first, you can't make something successful as a book. I, I don't know about other businesses unless you are, you're, you are so passionate about this subject and your relationship to this subject that you are willing to spend the next several years making yourself the go-to person on that subject, right? So even if it doesn't seem like it's a subject because I'm a humorist, each of my books is organized around a principle and a message and something that I perceive to be in the social zeitgeist that I have a specific relationship to. And for me, honing exactly what that is as I'm, you know, when I might be writing a bunch of stories and then realize, oh, this is the organizing principle. So it's not necessarily that I'm writing to an idea at first, but then once I'm writing and then I get an idea of where this project is going to live in the zeitgeist, then I have to shape all the material towards that. And I say that because, you know, there's a a paradigm that people often work with in the book world, which is, um, someone told me this when I started writing, that when you want to publish a book, you need to think uh, your publisher is going to ask you the three whys. Why this book? Why this uh, author? And why now? Right? Right. So those three things are going to be essential to your success because you need to have a strong argument for all those things. So, um, for instance, my book, I See You Made an Effort, right? Those were stories organized around the idea that I was turning 50 and I didn't know how I was supposed to approach that, how the world was supposed to see me, and um, what the fuck to expect from that experience. Right. Right. So, um, why that, so that, and I knew that this is a perennial subject aging and also are changing because of our longer, more, I'm, I'm giving you the background because this is how I'm thinking when I'm thinking about how I'm going to fit this into the world. So then I'm thinking, okay, so why is this subject important? Well, our mortality is longer. So we are all living longer, which makes sense why we don't know how to have a relationship to age. Also, we are inundated with images from the media. So there's all these issues that can give me not only writing points, but talking points and ultimately provide me avenues for which to promote this book, then uh, why this author? So while I'm someone who's turning 50, I'm a humorist, um, I've had every experience you could possibly have in that arena from um, having worked as an actress and having people stare at my face wondering how to light the bags under my eyes to then being a mom and a person in the world who doesn't give a crap how people see me um, on a good day. So I felt like I had a well 
well-rounded uh, experience of this. And then um, why now? Uh, so I felt that um, it was timely. I mean, some of these things, they, they're interconnected, right? I felt the subject was timely uh, because of the you know times we live in and uh, and in the book video that I created, which is easy to Google, I also mentioned all what I did was you know I researched all the things that were turning fifty when I was turning fifty, like Playboy magazine, like all these things that would then give me both writing and talking points that would be historical, and and I could reference in my you know, ultimate promotion and also in my writing. So then I have the whys and I feel very passionately about this project and this idea. And hopefully I have a good product, you know, good writing to go along with it. The next part of how I'm going to be successful in the, in the launch in my mind is to mobilize and make a thousand and one lists that have to do with the other principle that I feel is the two prong thing. One is the passion and dedication to the project. And the second is, I believe a project will be successful if I can get as many people talking about this project that aren't me as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's where the thousands of lists come in. And these lists are all informed by the first principle, which is my passion for this project and dedication mm -hmm. to this project. So my lists have to do with why should I reinvent the wheel, right? I don't need to invent an audience for something that's in the social zeitgeist. I just need to identify where people are already talking about the thing that I'm doing. Right. So how, how do I do that? Um, you know, in this age of, you know, internet, this is where one of the great things, this is one of the tools we have is, first of all, you know, just starting out in my wide circle, narrowing the circle in closer and closer. So first of all, I go wide. Uh, I mean, you could go either way, small and then go wide. But first, I might just do simple Googling of like uh, groups that deal with people my age or aging, you know, I mean, um, I mean, I might have things on the top of my head of, you know, let's say women's magazines or AARP or things like that. But then I want to go wider things I don't know. So this is how I ran. Some things come to me, obviously, because of having a certain profile in the public. But uh, then this is how sometimes things like a women's conference in Boston, I'll see that that's happening. And then I'll see if, there, if I know anyone who's connected with it. And, you know, the world is really small in the world of ultimately in the world of people who write and people who speak on issues. And so maybe I will know someone who is associated with the conference and I can contact them. But I have also cold contacted people and had that work very well because I have a passion, a real passion and dedication to this idea. And one thing I hadn't mentioned is, and in advance of publishing, I will have created a trail for myself of um, material where, which I have published uh, on the subject. 
So I will be able to contact people prior to publication with not only references to the work I'm doing, but to my track record as a person who is knowledgeable, even, I mean, as a humorist or is writing on that subject, right? right. So I will have, you know, let's say I'm contacting this, and, and by the way, I do this even though there are people who, you know, publishers or I have personally hired as publicists. Sometimes outsourcing to other people is a good idea. Um, I often find that people appreciate personal contact. Right. It really depends on my relationship or lack of relationship to the organization. So, um, so then I will email links or profile of myself of, you know, or some kind of uh, demonstration of my connection to that issue or subject or group and say, hey, I've got a book coming out. I'm going to be in your area, whether I will be in that area or not. I will be in that area. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to make it as easy for them as possible. Um, if, if I think that I can find a way to piggyback a bunch of groups together. Right. right. So then um, let's say I get a positive response. Right. I don't even know how it's all going to work out yet, but then I'm able to contact or tell the team of people I'm working with, you know, I'm going to be in Boston speaking at this women's conference in, at the time of the book release. Is there a book festival that's happening then? Then I've got, once I get myself, for instance, one of the things we can do in this day and age that distinguishes us, if it's possible and you feel comfortable doing this, is live events. There's still nothing like a live event because when you're actually selling books, you know, right, right. Um, which are, you know, um, there is a certain incentive to sell a, an, an actual physical copy. Although, you know, I, I love my audio book listeners, all that too. But also my goal First of all, one of the things I want to mention about this is, is in piggybacking events and going to do live events. The goal is not actually the live event. The goal is the email list going to people who might come to the live event. They might not come to the live event, but it's all, again, this idea. How many people are talking about my project that aren't me? Right. So, um, so it's not the event, it's the surrounding press and email lists of the people who are, then I'm, uh, they're promoting their event and in turn promoting my project. So it's this cascading domino effect of getting more and more people spreading the word. And um, again, like I, it's such a funny thing, every author knows this, you can be a best-selling author and have an event where uh, two people show up. Uh, I, one year I did South by Southwest and it was standing room only sold out. One year I did South by Southwest and there were, I think, three people in the audience. One was sleeping. One was someone who wanted to publish a book. And the other was in a dragon onesie. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, people. You know, it was kind of hilarious. I mean, and you have to have that attitude, but ultimately it wasn't about. Now, of course, it's great to have a great event. And when I can, I also try to do a guaranteed book 
buys. And then sometimes I'll do, I'll even forego uh, part of my uh, speech um, honorarium for a book buy if I'm at pub date time. Right. But um, again, like, yes, of course I want to sell books. And of course I want the most people there because, you know, giving a presentation to three people, well, one who is sleeping. I think they loved it. <laughs> There's always people who come and sleep at live presentations. But like, you don't know how you're impacting their dreams. You don't know. And the funny thing is there were three people at that event. One of them actually was a booker for other events and booked me at another event. So right. you never know. Um, you absolutely never know. But also, again, you have to have, you're in it for the long run and also what's called the long tail of publishing which is uh you don't want to just sell a pub date you're trying to create a very you know and and by the way publishers do not think about this publishers uh are really geared towards release date only if it hits great if not goodbye call us never how's right. never sound to you right. but you as an author have to be thinking of your whole career uh so you're in it for the long tail auxiliary markets of speaking of sales to film and television film also for setting up your next book so you want to keep selling and selling so you're you're in it for this longer effect so um so what so i've gone to the wide circle to try to get events or also press maybe what i've looked up and seen is a group is you know is a podcast is a is a online magazine that i hadn't heard of again i look for any commonalities of people if not i will either outsource that to someone else um or i will contact them cold or also one of the thing one of the ways that you i i think are successful in this business and everybody does it everybody from the biggest best-selling authors i know to people who are self-published usually when i do what i'm about to describe now i put it in the subject line so if it if it upsets anyone please skip it it's yes this is that email from your friend with a new book coming out i've gotten I mean, it from you Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And, um, you know, uh, it's the indignity of being an artist. But yep. again, I feel that I try to tell myself this at least. First, there's two things about this. One is that um, I always, always promote my friends and colleagues' work. Uh, why? Uh, a rising... What is it? A rising tide? tide some, we don't Sorry. write in cliches. How would All we right. know? Tides and boats go right. together, right? I mean, for it's. I want everyone I know to be successful because most of the people that I know, with very few exceptions, are all people who feel like I do. This is a ridiculous career, and you can either make a killing or go broke doing writing books. I mean, it's crazy, but you do it because you have to do it because you believe in something because you're convinced of an important of a message or an experience that you had. And so I want everyone I know to do well. So it's not a problem for me to get that email, but it's always nice to just know that we all get lots of these emails. Um, 
And and uh, so I, so first of all, when I'm sending this email out, I know that most likely I have promoted your work, you, the person who is getting this email, and gladly so. I want to make that clear. Secondly, I I try to. I mean, I'm an I'm a I'm a dedicated atheist. I do. It's hard to do this. And so I will say a little secular prayer before I send out the email, just saying, I hope that people don't get annoyed by this because I genuinely believe in the message that I am communicating here. And I do. It's just still, it's hard because some people are busy. I'm busy, you know. So some people will immediately return your email. Now that email might say, hey, do you know someone at so-and-so organization? Or it might be, you know, the email closer to pub date saying, hey, you know, I hope you will help me spread this word. And what a lot of people do and what someone actually instructed me to do, like another author said this to me, it's really helpful if you're asking your friends, and this is really a late towards pub date note, but if you're asking your friends and colleagues to promote you, it really helps to give them the exact language. Don't make people work hard. Even people who love your work and who've read this latest work, you know, don't, don't make them work too hard. Tell them exactly what you want them to say. And you, and you can couch it in, hey, uh, whatever you want to do is fine. If you would like, here's a shortcut. Here's the link to tweet. Here's the wordage. Here's something that people have done. This is one thing that drives me crazy, and I really recommend people not do this. Say a friend like me takes the time to tweet or Facebook or promote and doesn't use the exact language you've used, suck it up. Do yeah. not email and say, hey, could you change that to be the blah, 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 blah? Oh, live with it, people. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, that is just, that is where it gets annoying. I have one person on my list who does that regularly. And I just, I bristle at that. Uh, yeah. but otherwise I'm happy to get your email. You're going to get one from me. And if I, and I feel it's a trade secret to not say, you know, who sends me these emails, but every, almost everyone I know, with the exception of, I think, one person who won a Guggenheim like genius award or you know, MacArthur and won a man Booker prize, everybody else bestsellers alike send those emails saying, hey, this is pub date, it's coming out. But back to, this is in the advance. I also have, uh, and I think this is super important, a community of friends who are writers, yeah. who we regularly share information of like, hey, do you have an editor so-and-so and do you have an editor so-and-so? Because as the circle gets closer, smaller and smaller to my, my research on outreach, I am looking towards places I can publish. Yep. So what I've done is I've typically saved stories or thought about areas I will want to write on that didn't manage to fit in the book. And then I'll look for publications that might be printing something um, that I could write. And if I don't know someone there, I'll sort of gauge whether or not it's going to be best coming from my, my publishing publicist, publicist right. or it's going to be best coming from me directly. I'm that editors. I don't usually write too cold. Uh, 
I, I don't, yeah, that I don't, I don't really recommend that. Although there are some places where that are deliberately looking for people to do that, but that's usually non-professionals. They want sort of real people stories. So if you're a professional, I, I think it really helps if you can find a connection. It's just a sort of a safety valve that editors use of like in the subject line, so-and-so said to reach out to you. Yeah. And then I, and one of the things that I do in order to do my research, this is as the circle gets closer and closer, because I've done my research on what titles are in the same um, arena as me, I will go to the websites of those writers. And this is not in any way, I, I think, I don't want to sound stalkery or also like I'm trying to like, you know, piggyback off of someone's, you know, or like write something similar. It's just, if I know where there are books that are in what I consider my vein, then, um, and I see who liked their books or who published right. articles from them, then I can direct my energies towards the most likely places that would want to hear from me. That's so smart. That really works out. And sometimes it's more tangential than other times. So for instance, I'm going to give you an example that where I'm, I'll mention someone's name. So um, when uh, Jill Soloway, uh, who is an, you know, a, an acquaintance of mine who I've been so generous to have blurbed me before, and I, I love her work so much. So when she launched Transparent, um, my book, I See You Made an Effort, was coming out, I, I think it was close to then, or one of my books. I, I, I looked at who was giving transparent press, not because my work was related to her work. And this is another level of like, this is like the opposite, or maybe it is Dante's Inferno Circle of Hell of publishing, pre-publishing release. But it's uh, the reason why I researched who was covering Jill was because Jill is also a Jewish artist. Now, uh, that is a category that I fit in. I am a secular humanist person with a Jewish background. And yes, I absolutely use any kind of personal identification because there are readers who seek out writers with my background. Um, at the same time, and I guess people could judge for themselves whether this is exploitative, but I write about Jewish themes, but I also write about secular themes and living life as a person of an identifiable background, but who's also a secular humanist. So at the same time, as I was promoting my last book, Wherever You Go, There They Are, I simultaneously went on the Jewish Book Council tour and toward the country with secular humanist atheist groups. Because these are, and I actually was not connected to those groups, but I contacted people in those groups and I traveled with Richard Dawkins and interviewed him. I did an event at the National Mall with a, a big convention that was happening because that is a, because one of the stories in my book was about 
the family of secular humanists and what draws us to that world. And so um, those are two seemingly contrary groups that I write about and genuinely identify and feel passionate about. It might seem contrary, but this is the life that I genuinely lead. Right. Conversation that I genuinely engage in with myself and others. So I was on the atheist and Jewish tours at the same time. Amazing. Well, life is full of contradictions, as are right. we. Now, okay, we have to get close to wrapping up. So yes. let me ask you one thing that you, yes. you have been so successful at this. I mean, we should talk about how you get on Bill Maher, how you got on WTF. Like you are able, right? You were on Mark Maron's podcast. I'm not I've been on Mark's up. show several times. So, to, and, and, and Bill's show numerous times. So these are longstanding friendships that I've had with people in the industry. And that just really um, speaks to, uh, first of all, how old I am, uh, that Bill Maher and I did a movie together in 1989 wow. when I was headlining a show on HBO and he was a comedian trying to get uh, stand-up specials. And, um, you know, uh, if you are someone, and I encourage this, who genuinely... Well, I mean, I, I might appear to be a little misanthropic, but I'm not really. I really do. I value community and community building, genuine community building. There are communities I, I, I cannot, I mean, I draw the line. There are people and groups, anything to do with Marianne Williamson. I always lose friends and followers this way. Have at it, people. Anything to do with magical thinking and uh, new agey secret stuff. Vision boards. Vision boards are not hanging behind you the way white boards are. No, they're not. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, longstanding friendships and communities, we all work together. And so it's because of those. Now, then I, I will make, you know, for a, I've done because my subjects matters often deal with things in the social, political, economic arena that uh, allows me to branch out on various MSNBC and CNN and NPR, you know, kinds of media beyond my known circle of friends. So, you know, having a community really uh, look, identifying, you know, where your message will speak to and having the genuine passion to propel yourself past a thousand no's right. that you will get along the way, I think are all combined, you know, ingredients to making a, a project successful. And so like those connections, yeah. like, I think a lot of people, you know, along the path of life, we will meet people. We will have, I'm particularly great at ha- having connections with people who mm-hmm. become huge and completely alienating yeah. myself from them by the time they're huge and then yeah. feeling uncomfortable about ever reaching out mm-hmm. as if they've forgotten me, even though they might've been people I was really close. Well, yeah. And I'm going to give you some examples. So uh, at one point I had a writing partner um, who has gone on to a fair amount of success. Let's just say Peter Stagel, the host of and creator of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. And, um, you know, um, I've never gotten booked on that show. And uh, I've reached out a number of times. 
And, um, you know, ultimately it's someone's prerogative, whether or not they feel that you, you or your project will add value. And um, there's this horrible acronym that always gives me the creeps, but it's really good. It's Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. Yes. And uh, I have to, you know, I'll be like, why don't they do, you know, just because some people will see a value in your work and having you as part of their universe that you knew from the way back and some people will not. And, uh, you know, that's just uh, not my business, uh, sadly. Although I can totally spiral into, I can't believe to her, to her, you know, but, um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's pointless. They're, it's just not gonna, it's, it's just not gonna get you anywhere. I mean, I enjoy obsessive compulsive thinking. Yes. Uh, this is where your obsessive compulsive nature is your friend and your enemy. My obsessive compulsive nature, uh, my OCD makes me g g just so driven to, you know, just do to push every limit and, and to explore every option. It also, I can, sure, I can spend an entire night thinking about someone, how I work. I can't believe they don't, you know, whatever, it, pointless. And yeah, they have their own reasons. Who knows? And, you know, I, I, and also sometimes it can switch. And again, this goes back to, do I really feel I have an important message? Right. Right. That's ultimately what keeps you going when you get rejections. And it's so it's such an interesting point too, because I know when I was really in the traditional publishing world, there was a thinking, you got to produce a book a year. That's what my publisher told me. And that's what I did for six years. Mm -hmm. And that not only makes it so that you're not as passionate about it, because it was this pressure to come up with new ideas, but you just don't have the time to nurture it the way, to send out those requests as sporadically as possible, to wait two years between them. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I know exactly what you're saying. And it's really hard. I think the thing is, most people understand. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, it, it, it's just the nature of the, of the business. And you know, there are some times when I will feel like, okay, that person is just not interested in me. I get it already. Right. And I'll just cross them off my list. But, um, you know, I, I even when you're producing things, I, I mean, you know, you have to be strategic about what you're asking. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not always fun. And again, one of the things you can do as the, to, to counter the asks that you make is also sometimes I'll be on it before my friends will ask, you know, I, I just, I really take that seriously that I must, um, you know, walk the walk and do the same for my friends. Also, uh, if you have a friend and you are going to their book event. Buy their book. Buy the book. Yeah. Uh, it kills me when, when, when I know. It, it kills me when someone who you, I mean, it, the hilarious thing is authors, you know, there can be like a thousand people 
in an audience and you will remember who didn't buy the book. Oh, you will. <laughs> but it's the worst because it's so, it's such a big deal to show up, especially in Los Angeles. And I, know, I know. And then you hate them for not buying the book and here they showed up for you. It's the I know. worst. It is, it's just awful. But you, you're, you know, as you're, you're trying to be entertaining or maybe your book is very serious and you're trying to service this really important message. And in your brain, you're also counting how many people are going to buy. Is anyone going to buy for say, because what a, a civilian doesn't know is that if you don't sell a certain number of books at your event, you will not be having an event there again. It's not, oh, next time. You know, it's, it's I know. so hard. It's so hard. I Writing know. books is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the faint. But I think that promoting them is for the even less faint of heart. Well, writing the book, I mean, is, is you know, my God, first of all, writing is hard. Selling is hard. What's so funny is I think it's so fucking hard to sell a book. And, um, you know, you just, it, it, it's really, uh, it never ceases to amaze me when someone will say, oh, I, I'm going to, or, or come there or someone, a friend of mine, whatever friend would come to, has come to a lot of my events and said, Oh, well, I'm going to share a copy with so-and-so you just want to, you know, you want to stab them. And, yeah. um, and, and but, it, but it's, but it's hilarious because the truth is they just don't know what, how know. small a margin you have as an author for being successful. It's, and it's, and you don't want to hate people, but you are mentally etching them off your Hanukkah list of, <laughs> of cards. Even I'm not going to say, you know, it's, it's, it's the most undignified. It's like, I feel like, you know, my great grandfather was what they called like a peddler in the Ukraine. It all, it all comes back to Ukraine just by the way. Always. Always. But so they were a peddler in Ukraine that sold like their wares off this, like the back of a mule. And I think sometimes that's how it feels. I, I <laughs> how, how sad he would be to see me. Like I've got, I've got books right now, you know, in your trunk, in the trunk. Of, of course. Car. Of course. And the other day, okay. The other day I'm with a very good friend and their mother. And she says, do you have a copy of my, your, my mom should read your book. Uh, do you have one in your car? I'm like, well, of course I do. I'm ready to sell her mom a copy of my book in the trunk of my car. She takes a look at it and it has like a tiny spot of coffee on it and just, yeah. oh no, I want a fresh copy. I know. I will say that's why self-publishing rules because you've only paid like $3 for a copy and you know what I'm saying? And you, you're fine giving them away. <clears throat> well, self-publishing to me, I feel like is a, a great option if you know you have an audience. I, I, I'm still hooked into traditional publishing because I don't know that I could publish and um, not have at least some of that machine behind me. But I mean, if, if, if you can make that work, it's fantastic. And I totally see how the advantages I, I haven't yeah. gone there, but yeah. I'll convert you. The machine never did anything for me, but that's like, even what you're describing, you did it. You yes. Did it. Well, but see what I did was, I mean, and look, there's a lot of different ways to cut this thing. What I did was I am, capitalizing on the fact that a large publishing machine is 
I can use their name, right? To, right. But I mean, you know, there are some, there are uh, so many downsides to the big publishing machine because if they're not in your corner, your your book doesn't have a have a shot unless you are. Uh, yeah, that's, I shouldn't say that's true because it's not totally true, but you have to really know that. I've had the experience, I've had great experiences with the big publishing machine, but then I've also had the experience where I thought they were really going to push something and they didn't, which is why, um, there, you know, there's just nobody, there's nobody who's going to love your book as much as you are and yeah. treat it like you do a child of yours to send out into the world with every advantage. You know, you are really, you know, that, that book is your, is your offspring and your you to admit to launch your kid or a book into the world. It's going to take more love and, and, chutzpah than you would ever think is possible. Okay. We are so over time. So let me just wrap up. This has been fantastic. I would say the three main points when it comes mm -hmm. to a launch, according mm -hmm. to Annabelle Gerwich, mm -hmm. be passionate. Make sure you are so passionate about this topic that you can talk about it forever, or at least until your next book. Get as many people talking about it as possible who are not you. Yes. Reach the F out and then piggyback events around this potential like oh i'll be in town even if you weren't planning on being in town mm -hmm. um those i feel and q-tip quit taking it personally if it doesn't work yeah uh, okay. that's, it. that's um, it i'm so glad i took notes annabelle thank you your goddess thank you for doing this thank you everybody for listening if you would like to find out more about annabelle what is the best way to find you uh go to my Go to my website, AnnabelleGerwich.com, and if you don't spell it right, you'll probably get there anyway. Yeah, it's, it's like so dissimilar from any other person's name. Okay, delightful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna.